Hello everyone, welcome to church. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. It's good to be, good to be with you today. Uh, as Em said before, uh, we are coming to the end in this series uh, about talking about money. hope it's been a good one for you. Uh, we've got today and next week left uh, and then we can finally get rid of this sign that makes me feel dirty every time I look at it. Uh, <laughs> We looked at wealth, we looked at saving, we've looked at investing, we've looked at giving. Today our topic is contentment and the love of money. Uh, and the passage we've just read out, I think, is one of the most practical passages uh, in the Bible that talks about money and contentment. Now, there's lots of parts of the Bible that talk about contentment. Um, probably the most uh, famous one is Philippians 4, where Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. But today's passage in 1 Timothy 6, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, gives a direct link between um, contentment and money. Now, I think that's important because uh, the way our culture and therefore the way we uh, think about contentment is usually connected with money. In fact, the the Greek word that's used here for contentment literally means to be self-sufficient. Uh, And one of the ways I think we think we can be self-sufficient is in the area of money, isn't it? Uh, To get to a position in life where we have enough money, uh, so you're self-sufficient. Buy a nice house, get an investment property, retire early with enough super to live comfortably, travel the world, then I'll be content. That's how we think, isn't it? Now, imagine that for many of us, whether it's explicitly or just subconsciously, that we've, we've bought into that definition of contentment. Uh, It's a contentment that's based on our financial situation. And so we're always striving to get to a place where we will be content. The problem is, though, we never seem to attain it, do we? We never never quite have enough. The goalposts always seem to keep moving. Inflation seems to keep going up. Uh, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter 5, says it this way says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them? You will never have enough to be content. In the end, as the book of Ecclesiastes goes on to say, it's like chasing after the wind. Uh, One of the books that uh, I read in preparation for this series was this one. It's called The Barefoot Disciple. Uh, He just ripped the name from uh, another popular book about money called The Barefoot Investor. Uh, Many of you have probably read this, I suspect, and there's probably a few people who probably should read this book. Um, As far as I'm aware, Scott Pape, who's the author, isn't a Christian, um, but it's full of, of... you know, great advice, general advice about how to, to use money well, to budget well, to invest. Even talks about giving as part of the good advice. And generally, I, I would recommend uh, the book. Uh, but the reason why uh, Joel Francis, that's not his name, that's his pseudonym name for his book, but Joel, who wrote the book, um, the reason he did that was not to help us think about how to invest money wisely, But he wrote it to help us think wisely about the place of money in the life of a Christian. That is, in the life of a disciple. Now, again, it's a practical book and I recommend it to you. It's a really helpful read. But it's how he starts the book that I I thought was so helpful. And that's because our whole lives, in our culture, we've been trained to be a consumer. This is how he says it. 
says, to modern secular society, your primary identity is a consumer. From a young age, billions of dollars have been spent on you and the people you know to create a culture of consumerism. We're swimming in the culture of consumerism and none of us are immune to it. We're bombarded by advertising on TV, online, walking down the street, on the side of buses, podcasts we listen to, everywhere at the moment, particularly with the Black Friday sales. I, I couldn't write this sermon. It was just constant emails coming through from... It's crazy. It's all designed to make us consumers. And the advertisers, any advertisers, marketers in the... Not going to admit to that. Uh, they're good at their job, aren't they? They... They make you feel like you're missing out if you don't buy the thing they're selling. But that's the whole point of marketing, isn't it? It's meant to make you not content, but discontent and unhappy with where you're at in your life, what you have, so that you'll buy the thing that they're selling. And all the time they're telling you, if you just buy that, then, then you'll be content. The book Affluenza, which is, was written in 2005, but it's sort of talking about these same things, describes it this way. It says... People feel sad, and what do they do? Well, they go to the mall and they shop, which makes them feel better, but only for a short time. There's an addictive quality in consumerism, but it simply doesn't work. They've gotten all these things, and they still find this emptiness, this hollowness. Consumerism will never make you content. It's not designed to do that. In fact, studies have shown the more money companies spend in a country on advertising, the less happy the people of that country become. It's a a link to those two things. We're consumers. We're fooled into thinking that the more we have, the more happy we'll be and the more content we'll become. And so we need more money so we can keep buying those things that claim will give us that contentment. We have more money and wealth than we've ever had in any point in human history. Uh, where our houses are twice the size they were back in 1950, even though our families are half the size. We have more cars, more clothes, more shoes, more toys, more tech, more stuff than we've ever had. We need bigger houses to put all this stuff in, constantly chasing after the latest trinket, thinking that's going to be the thing that's going to make us content. But here's the thing. It's not working, is it? We're less content, we're less happy, we're more stressed about money than we've ever been. And so, what are we meant to do with all this? What are we meant to do about this? Well, what the barefoot disciple reminds us of is this. He says, if you are a Christian, that is, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, then your true identity is not consumer, but it's disciple. Let me say that again. If you are a Christian, your true identity is not a consumer. It's a disciple of Jesus Christ. The problem is that when it comes to money, I think our default, and when I say our, I'm talking about us here in church, our default position when we think about money isn't to think of it in terms of disciple, but we're consumers. That's how we think. And that's why we've been doing this series, because we want to reshape the way that we think about the place of money in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so let's turn and have a look at that passage that M read out to us before and have a look at what, what it has to say about contentment and the love of money. And so 
grab your Bible, have it open there. It'll come up on the screen as well, but it's always good to have. Have your Bible open at church. Who would have thought? Okay, firstly, let's start with the question, what is contentment? We're talking about contentment and the love of money. What is contentment? Well, if you go back one verse before our passage, which starts in in, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, if you go back to uh, verse 5, Paul has just warned Timothy, who is a, a young pastor, about false teachers. And here's what he says. False teachers who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, this was false teaching. It was there in the first century. It's still here today. It's called the prosperity gospel. Uh, it, It says that if you come to God, he will make you rich, that he will bless you financially. Some of you might have come out of churches that have taught that in your past. But Paul says that's false. Rather, he says, but godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, it's not money that is gain. But it's godliness with contentment. That's great gain. That's of great worth. Now, that, that's going to be his big summary statement over this whole section. And he's going to go on to explain what that is in the rest of this passage. But before we go on and look at it, what does he mean when he says it's godliness with contentment? What does it mean by that? Well, like I said at the start, the, the Greek word here uh, for contentment means to be self-sufficient. But what Paul's saying here is that to be content, it's not to become self-sufficient. According to Paul, Christian contentment is something radically different. It's godliness with contentment. And so it's not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. It's, a contentment comes not in being more independent, but in becoming more dependent upon God. Or in other words, we aren't to find contentment in money but to find our contentment in God. The Apostle Paul says that's what's great gain. That's where true wealth is. Now, why is that? Why? Well, why is godliness with contentment great gain? Well, it's what Paul says next. And he, you see it because it's got the for. Now, when there's a for, it's always explaining what's come before it. It's the, the because. And so why is godliness with contentment great gain? Well, because, or for, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Why is it great gain? Well, when you arrived on this earth, you had nothing. And when you go out the other side, you're going to have nothing. You're going to take nothing with you. Now, you might all say, yeah, yeah, of course. We all know that. You can't take anything with you. But our response to that often is to think, well, if that's the case, then we need to make the most of it in the here and the now, don't we? That's, what most, that's the moral at most funerals, isn't it? Your life will be over soon, and so make the most of it now. Now, that would be true if this life was all there was. But in light of eternity, this life is just a moment. You see it at the end of the passage, if you go down to verse 17, he contrasts the, the present world with the coming age in verse 19. There's more than just the present world, more than just this blink of an eye before eternity. And if you can get your head around that, if we can get our heads around that, that this life is this and compared to eternity, that's going to completely change the way that we think about money. It's like playing a game of Monopoly. It it doesn't really matter how much money you make, how many properties you get, 
It's all going to be useless once the game's over, isn't it? Our money is monopoly money. It's toy money. It's only good for the here and now. It won't be of any use in eternity. You see the same thing back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 again. I think that was what Paul was reading in his daily devotion the morning he wrote uh, 1 Timothy. says this again, says, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone, uh, everyone comes so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? And so Paul says, live for what lasts beyond this life. Not financial gain, but godliness with contentment. That's great gain. A couple of chapters earlier in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, Paul said this, he said, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come. Do you see? Godliness is the thing that's going to last beyond this life, not our money. And it's actually godliness now that will actually lead to contentment in this life. Because as you put more of your trust in Jesus Christ, as his spirit changes you, you'll become more freed to live for the things that actually matter. For his kingdom instead of our own. And so if this life isn't about money, well, Paul goes on, verse 8, well then, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now I take food and clothing here to mean the basic needs of life. You know, food, clothing, a roof over our head. He says, if we have those things, we can be content. In the, end, what, in the end, what else do you need? If this life is this compared to eternity, what else do you need? It should radically change what we're living for in the here and the now. We don't need to constantly be chasing after the latest thing, thinking that's going to bring us contentment. It won't. We can remember that we're not consumers, that we're disciples. We're not living for this. We're living for eternity. And so we can, all we need is the basics. But it's not saying that you can't have more than just the basics. It's not saying you need to get rid of everything else, become poor. Later on, Paul's going to say that he, God provides everything for our enjoyment. Don't be simplistic about it. We'll get to that later on. But all we need are the basics. That's all we need. We can be content with that. Everything else is just extra. Now, before we move on, I want to give you a question for you to consider, for myself to consider this week. You might want to write it down or take a photo of it. Here's the question. Could you be content with just the basics? In a room like this, I know a lot of us are living well above that. Could you be content with just the basics in life? Or are you trapped in a consumer mindset instead of a disciple mindset? Something to think about this week. Okay, let's keep going. What Paul does next uh, is gives a warning to those who want to get rich. Now, don't be too quick when you hear that to think he's talking about someone else. Or think about that person. Oh, yeah, they really need to hear that. Don't worry about them. They, they can hear it for themselves. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. In all, you know, in all the years I've been a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess all sorts of sin and struggles in their life. You know, no one's ever come to me and said, Matt, I'm struggling with greed. Never. 
because none of us think we are. But be careful. Verse 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The word here for trap, it's the word that was used for a snare that would catch and catch animals. Uh, one of my favourite TV shows is called Alone. Any fans of Alone? Not the Australian one, I'm talking about the American one. It's way better. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's a survival show. Uh, and often they put in these extreme conditions and to survive they put out these little snares uh, to try and trap animals so they can eat. Um, but they're designed in such a way that the animal doesn't see them until it's too, too late, until they've put their neck through the, the, uh, the snare and the animal becomes stuck. And the more the animal uh, tries to get out of it, the tighter the snare becomes until the animal is choked and dies. Now, that might sound a bit brutal, but that's the point. That's the warning here to those who want to get rich. It's a trap. And often we don't see it until it's too late, until we've been plunged into ruin and destruction. But it's also like a drug, because the word there for desire is the word lust. It's that desire to be rich that becomes this lust that is never satisfied, that you always need more. You're like a drug addict who is looking for that next hit, and you always need more than the last one. Um, we live in Green. A lot of us live in Green Square. Heaps of apartments. Meriton is one of the, the main builders that builds all these apartments. Harry Trigoboff, um, he's the, the guy who started Meriton. He is the fourth richest man in Australia. $23 billion is his net worth currently. Um, he's 90 years old, still working full-time as the head of Meriton. Not long ago, I was walking past one of the, the new Meriton construction buildings and I saw him, uh, he was there with a bunch of, you know, his, the people around him. And in that moment, something just whirled up in me, this anger and this frustration. And, <laughs> and it, it actually took everything in me not to go up to him. Like, I really, uh, you know, like he's 90 years old. He's, he's about to die. And yet he's still just building these things, selling them at ridiculous prices so he can put more money on that pile. And as I went home, I was still frustrated and I was sort of thinking about it and praying about it. And God spoke to me and he said, yeah, okay, that's fine for him. What about you? I, you're doing the same thing. Just because you don't have $24 billion to play with doesn't mean you're not doing the same thing. This is the trap for all of us, whether you've got $20 or $20 billion, that desire to get rich. But we do need to make a distinction here because it's not money that is the problem. It's the love of money that's the trap. And so have a look at verse 10. There we go. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money has this way of enslaving us of us ending up serving it rather than it serving us. In Matthew, 24, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and 
despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we know that. We cannot love both God and money. And those who end up loving money tend to wander from the faith. Jesus said that's the same thing in the parable of the soils, you know, the third soil. What is one of the things that comes up and chokes the word of God in our lives? Well, it's the deceitfulness of wealth. And it happens slowly. When weeds come up and choke things, it doesn't happen instantly. It happens over time. And so heed the warnings that are here. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't fall into the trap of wanting to get rich. If you are a Christian, you are not a consumer. You are a disciple. Now, before we move on, I have another question for us to consider this week. Maybe if, you're, if you've got a partner, talk with them about it. If you're single, maybe get some other people in your community group. Talk about these things. Here's the next question. It's a pretty simple one. Do you love God or money? Because Jesus says you can't love both. And he says the way you can tell what you actually love is by looking at where your treasure is. What do you spend your money on? A consumer will love money. A disciple will love God. Worth thinking about. Okay, let's keep moving. The question is, if, it's, if the desire to get rich and the love of money is a trap, how do we avoid that trap? We'll have a look at verse 11. Oh, if we can go back one. Jess, there we go. Um, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now, do you notice the language through that? Have a look at the, the verbs. There's strong words here. We've got flee. We've got pursue. We've got fight. We've got take hold. Firstly, flee. Now, what do you flee? Well, you flee things that can harm you. You don't sort of flirt with them. You, you run away as fast as you can. If you have a desire to be rich, if you think you might love money over God, flee from it. Do whatever it is you need to remove that temptation from your life. But it's not just about fleeing from something. We need to replace that with the desire for something else, something better. And so next, says, uh, Paul says, pursue. He says, pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Run away from the things that don't last and run to the things that do last from this life and into eternity. When an alcoholic uh, gives up drinking, uh, most of the time what they end up doing is replacing that one addiction for another one. Uh, what we need to do is not only flee from this but replace it with something, an affection that is more, that is better than what we had in the past, something Things like righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. But Paul says it's not going to come naturally. You're going to have to fight for it. Fight the good fight of the faith. That it won't come easy because the world around you is telling you the exact opposite. Saying, take, have, have it all. If you have it, then you'll be happy. You might even need to fight your own internal desires here. But fight the good fight of the faith. In other words, believe what God says rather than what the world is saying. 
believe that godliness with contentment is of great worth, not financial. And then it says, well, it says flee, it says pursue, it says fight. And then fourth in verse 12, again, it says, take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. That means to, to experience this eternal life. Uh, Paul finishes this section uh, with the same words. He says to take hold of the life that is truly life. What a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Take hold of the life that is truly life. It means to believe it enough to actually live it out. That's what it looks like to avoid the trap of falling into the love of money and the desire for riches. Now, with the time we have left, uh, what I want to do is try and get really practical because that's where Paul goes at the end of the passage in verses 17 to 19. And so have a look. Verse 17 says, Command those who are rich. Now, again, I suspect that when you hear that, you think, oh, he's talking about someone else. I think it was in the first week we, we talked about uh, people think in Australia that to be rich, you need to be earning over $300,000 a year. So most people, well, you know, there's probably a few people in here are earning over that. If you are, you can take me out for lunch later on. Uh, but for many of us, we go, oh, yeah, that's someone else. That's not us. But again, I want to push back on that. All of us on a global and a historical scale are rich. If you earn the minimum wage in Australia right now in 2023, after tax, it's just under $40,000. If that's you, then you are in the top 20% of wealth in the world uh, after it's been adjusted for cost of living. Now, you might not feel rich, but in a biblical and a historical and a global scale, we are. And so to all of us who are rich, and I think that's most of us, first Paul tells us what not to do. So verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Don't be arrogant with your wealth. The, if you've got the ESV translation of the Bible, it uses the old term haughty. Uh, haughty means having an attitude of superiority and contempt for people perceived to be inferior to you as if the size of your bank account determines your worth. That's basically the attitude of the eastern suburbs to the rest of Sydney, isn't it? <laughs> Don't be like that. Don't look down on people just because they have less than you. Maybe the reason they do is because they're generous with their money and you're greedy. So don't be arrogant. Sorry if you live in the eastern suburbs. <laughs> but there's also a, a second not to do if, if you are rich. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Does your security for now and the future depend on the size of your bank account uh, or your super balance or whether or not you have an investment property? Now, all of those things can be good things, but they're not what we're meant to put our hope in. Now, why is that? Well, Paul goes on. It's because they're so uncertain. Uh, we think that wealth is security. We think if we have enough, then we'll be secure. But it's so uncertain. Stock markets crash. Businesses fail. You lose jobs. Unexpected costs come. 
wealth is uncertain. In the past month, two people from our church have shared with me that they've been victims of online scams uh, that have cost them significant amounts of money. One, their whole life savings. Uh, Wealth is so uncertain. And so don't put your hope in it. But there is something... Rather, there is someone that's worth putting your hope in. And Paul reminds us, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. At the end of the day, it's not our money that's going to provide for us. It's God. He's the one who's given us everything that we have, all of our money. And he's the one thing that is certain in this life. Everything else will be gone. He is the one thing that is certain. And he's the one who, notice what it says, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not stingy. We don't worship a God who is stingy. I love this quote from a a book I was reading this week. It says, We are joyful children on Christmas morning receiving unexpectedly lavish gifts from uh, from loving parents. That's our God. The one who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. Could it be that the reason you don't actually enjoy the things God has given you is because you don't see them because you're too busy focused on what you think he should give you or hasn't given you? To enjoy the things he has given you, you need to become content with what he has given you. So where's your hope? Is it in God? Or is it in wealth? Let's keep moving. Nearly there. Okay, we've had the what not to do. Uh, next we get the what to do. So verse 18 says, Command them, that's those of us who are rich, which is pretty much all of us, what are we to do? Well, we're to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. You notice the order here? It's not... If you do good and be generous and share, then God's going to provide for you. It's God has richly provided for you, and so do good. Be rich in good deeds, share. See the the way it's going there? Trusting that God will continue to provide for you. He always has and he always will, and so we can trust him. And so be generous, share, be rich in good deeds. Now, we've spoken about generosity a lot during this series. And for some of you, generosity will literally be a few dollars. And that's, that's great. It's not about the size of the amount. It's about, it's about your heart. But for some of us, I suspect that as you think about money as a disciple, it's, it's got to completely change the way you think about and then use your money, the way you completely change the way you think about generosity. And so maybe you could go and... Have a look at your bank account and see how much it is that you spend on yourself each year. On clothing, on eating out, on holidays, on tech, and, and, and things you just buy that you don't even think about. You don't even need, but you just buy them because they're there. Yes, God has richly provided for us so we can enjoy it, but he doesn't just do that so we can be generous with ourselves. Use your riches to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. The Barefoot Disciple uh, suggests going on a spending detox. Uh, He suggests try living on minimum wage for a year. 
Uh, you might want to try that. Uh, maybe you just that's just unrealistic for where you're at uh, in Sydney. Uh, but at the very least, we've talked about this as well, but set a spending limit that isn't tied to your income. Set a spending limit of how much you're going to choose you and your family to live off a year and don't keep rising that up as your income grows or as your costs shrink. Set a spending limit. And then with the rest of it, find ways to be generous, to share, to use your money for God's kingdom instead of your own. Now, I'm not sure if I should do this, but I'm here now, so let's go. And maybe at the 11 o'clock service, we won't. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes. Let me just put some numbers on this for a minute. Uh, Let's just say you're a couple with a joint income of $160,000. Now, I looked it up this week. The average income in Sydney in 2023 per person is $108,000. So if you've got two incomes, let's say you're on $160,000. And I suspect that for a lot of us, God has blessed you with much more than that. But let's say it's 160, and say you, you say, I'm going to be generous and give 10%. Now, that's $16,000. Now, that's a lot of money, isn't it? But $144,000 that's left is also a lot of money. Now, my humble question, and I don't say this to make anyone feel guilty because I'm asking the same question of myself. The question is, is that being generous? Is giving 16000 and keeping 144000 is that generous? Now, maybe it is, depending on your situation and who you're, who's dependent on you and all of that. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's worth considering and asking the question, where is your money going? What is your mindset? Are you a consumer or you're a disciple? Because there is an opportunity to use your money for so much more than just little trinkets and stuff that's just going to make your life more miserable, not more content. And I reckon being generous means giving enough that means you can't do all the things that you want to do. Uh, it, it means you can't buy all the things that you want to be, that you want to, you want to get. If generosity doesn't come at your own expense... Is it actually generosity? What I think we need is a bigger vision. Uh, we need to, a bigger vision of how to, we can use the money that God has given us. Um, a bigger, what, what's that, what could that look like? A bigger vision of how we could support ministries and people and causes. What could that look like? Well, let me give you a few examples. I know a guy Uh, that owns a medical practice. And when he first started it, he made the decision that he would take a wage from the practice, but all the rest of the money that the practice would make, uh, he would put into an account and that money would go to supporting missionaries. Now, I don't mean like a a percentage to each missionary. He would just be able to write a check. Yep, you want to go there? Great, I'll pay for it. How amazing is that? Now, he could have gone and bought a big yacht or a big house by the beach or retired early, but he saw something bigger and better to use his money on, something that lasts beyond this life. The building we're we're in right now, the fact that we're sitting in this building today is because of the generosity of a beautiful, wealthy family who, instead of using their wealth to do what they want to do, they use it to support gospel ministry. Now, 
some people in this room are going to have so much money one day that you won't know what to do with it. And so why don't you now, before that time comes, decide to set a limit to your income and your lifestyle and then be generous and give. Get a bigger vision of what you could use the money God has given you to do. I know another guy who um, he's decided because his temptation is to want to get rich and to love money, he's decided that anything he wants to buy for himself he has to give the same amount of money. So if he wants to buy a new pair of shoes for $100, he needs $200, 100 to buy the shoes and 100 to give. That could be a great way to reduce your consumerism, to think about the things you're going to purchase, to be generous with yourself and with others. But it, you don't have to have millions of dollars to have this mindset. Start with whatever God has given you. He has richly provided for you, for your enjoyment, and he calls you to be generous and to share. And so start with whatever you have. Here's, here's a small one. This might ruin something for you, but let me, let me do it anyway. Uh, you don't need to get a new phone every two years. Apple and other companies have set it up to give you a mindset that you need to have that new phone every two years. You don't. It's fine. It's working fine, probably. If you're spending $100 a month on a phone plan and you think, oh, in the end of 12 months, I just get a new one for free. No, you don't. You've been paying for it the whole time. Keep the phone, get a phone plan for 50 bucks, and take that other $50 and sponsor a kid. How much better is that than a new phone with, oh, now it's got three cameras instead of two? Who cares? <laughs> like the fact that their kid can now eat, how much more amazing is that? Oh, I've already, got a, I've already got a sponsor kid. Get two. Get five. Like, be generous with what you have. Sorry if, if you're going to go and buy a new phone. Don't judge that person. You don't know. They've probably been generous already. You worry about yourself. But get a bigger vision of what generosity is. We're not consumers, we're disciples. Okay, let's finish up. My time is definitely up. <laughs> Paul finishes in verse 19 by reminding us of what really matters. Have a look. Verse 19 says, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you see the perspective that we're meant to have here? There is more than just the present world. There is a coming age, the life that is truly life. That is what we are living for, not the here and now. That is true contentment, not money right now. And so don't fall for the danger of wealth. Can I beg you not to fall for it? I'm speaking to myself when I say that. Don't be a consumer. Don't be trapped in the endless cycle of needing more, thinking that it will make you content. It won't. Don't lay up treasures for yourself where moth and rust destroy, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. The life that is truly life. And it's the life that Jesus purchased for you at the cost of his own. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for lifting our eyes to see there is more than just the here and now, that there is a life coming, the coming age, which is the life that is truly life. Lord, would you help us to not be consumers who are just constantly buying, thinking that will bring contentment, but show us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Help us to have a vision beyond this life, to see what is truly of value and to invest in that.
Help us to be people who are generous with what you have given us, to share it, to invest it, to see your kingdom grow instead of our own. Father, would you forgive us for the way that we have thought our money is our own? Would you forgive us for our greed? Would you change our hearts and our minds so that we may be generous? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.